First, a joke. What do you get when you cross an owl with a bungee cord? My ass. <laughs> so, Finn, knowing we had Chris Marker coming up, yeah. I had aspired for quite a while to make an intro for this episode, which was a montage of previous intros with me doing a Chris Marker style, like, dear audience, me and Finn have been on this journey many times now, and I see us hit it once again, again, you know? Yeah. But I haven't really had the energy or time to do that. No, no, that sounds like it would have taken far too much effort. Oh, no, I think it would have taken a reasonable amount of effort for a functional human. It's just that right now I'm not exactly at 100 or even 50%, you know? I have to edit this in three days, and that's quite a big... I can do it. Yeah. Especially because I think we might be under like an hour. (laughs) Oh, I think that's entirely possible. I just really wanted... So to be like, we watch the two films and then we sit down and then I'm like, I will pl- now play you our intro. But I also think that the idea of me doing that is better as a concept explained than as an actual thing I did. Probably, yeah. Because there's not really a way to capture an audio that wouldn't just be a rolling cacophony <laughs> of four or five layers of voices to get you responding to a pre-recorded <laughs> intro, you know? Mm. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then followed up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watch number 71 on the Sight and Sound list, Sans Soleil, Chris Marker's film about memory that I've uh, already forgotten all the details of. Our second film this week is Kung Pao Into the Fist, a slapdash kung fu comedy made from re-edited scenes from actual kung fu movies and jokes repurposed from the bin of a Mystery Science Theater 3000 writer's room. Which brings us to the theme of this week's podcast. We're in Shite and Sound, in which we talk about whether we have good or bad memories. I think I have a bad memory because I have seen both of the films we watched this week before, Sun right. Soleil, Sunless, by Chris Dot Marker. There's a dot after Chris because it's no, short cause for... It's, well, no, because it's a website. <laughs> it's because I believe, yeah, he, he was born Christian. And so he's... Anyway, it doesn't well, matter. No one's born Christian. Religion is forced on people by their parents and society. Yeah, keep going. Oh, that's about it. One half hour discussion of religion later. Kachow, it's sound sound. <laughs> Kachow. Yeah, I'm like Latin McQueen. Yeah, yeah, I know. How do you? Where do? You, okay, yeah, great, great place to start. Mm. Lightning McQueen. Within cars, yeah. after he's won his first race, I mm. believe, or second one, two female cars come up to him. And they flash their headlights yeah. at him? Yeah. Uh, do you think that is the only case of nudity in a Pixar film? Uh, I'm, no, not, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm sure there's something in Jerry's game. Well, 
<laughs> Jerry's guy. Um, yeah, well, well, old man playing chess. I'll simplify this. Yeah. Is the fact that some of the spirits and soul have clothes and some don't imply that some are naked and also are Wally and Eva naked are the real question okay, so he, Here's the thing that I like a lot about Pixar. They are a whole lot less obsessed with like uh, uh, butts as a comedic concept than every other American animation. Everything else is like, if we show someone's bum, that's comedy. It is interesting what each era's go-to jokes are. Yeah. But anyway, as I mentioned in my introduction, memory is a bastard and reveals that that we are all fictions, which is uh, the subject of Sun Soleil, Chris Marker's uh, kind of patchwork film exploring the, the film Vertigo, modern day Japan, parts of Africa, and kind of everything. Yeah. Uh, everything uh, inside and exterior to himself. Uh, fr- French emus. Yeah. Giraffes getting shot. Uh, that really like, stuck like, with you. Oh, like it, like absolutely. Yeah. It's, there's a very long shot of a giraffe that's being shot through the neck, and you can just see two spurts of blood coming out each side of its neck as it sort of like runs around, slowly losing all its power to stay alive. Yeah. It's horrifying. And then there's a cut to it getting its eyes picked out by vultures. Yeah. It's <laughs> one um, of pretty funny. Con- it's one of the most <laughs> confronting things I've ever seen. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's, I want to say it's great, but like it's, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not yeah. like, oh, fuck you, bro. <laughs> well, well, welcome to Watch Mojo's top ten <laughs> sickest animal deaths. Number ten, Tuki Buki. <laughs> number Num- nine, that turtle from Animal <laughs> Holocaust. And number eight through three, we speed through. Number two, the death. Of uh, does a Pokemon die in Detective Pikachu? Presumably, uh, who can tell? And number one, that Raffo <laughs> in Sansoulet, Chrissy Marx. We all know that number two is the bit in the Louis Mal film La Combusienne, where the main character picks up a chicken and karate chops its head off. But my memory of Sansoulet, of what I've seen bits of Marx's work, I've yeah. not, I'm not, I'm not all the way across. I haven't seen Smile Without a Cat which is of his three biggies. There's obviously Sansoleil. There's obviously La Jete, yeah. um, which we'll get to. Yes. Um, and then and then there's Smile with the Eight Cat. I've, I've never managed to find that. Right. But uh, I've seen his Akira Kurosawa film, AK, the ma- on the making of Ran, which is uh, great. Is probably the second best behind the scenes film after Lost in La Mancha. Okay. Um, or maybe The Hamster Effect, which is the behind the scenes film on the making of Twelve Monkeys, adapted from La Jete. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was going to be behind the scenes on uh, G-Force, a movie with the uh, <laughs> guinea pigs who are spies. Or um, the Mothman. Sorry, Nicolas Cage and Sam Rockwell. <laughs> or the Mothman Prophecies. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> ah. yeah, what a good rumour. Yeah. Um, I love a good rumour. I mean, absolutely, but like definitely, right? You're like, that is a rumour where you're like, wow, when I was 10. I, I believed, believed anything. <laughs> yeah. And within kind of seeing that broad spectrum of his work, uh, some of which I've revisited recently in the build up to this, I rewatched La Jete just to be like, yeah, still good. And, and you'll never guess. But still, still pictures. Yeah. I mean, except for the one except shot. Except for one of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, where you're like, oh, are they moving? Yes. Yes. La- <laughs> Don't want to spoil our La Jete episode too much. <laughs> 
and I rewatched Letter from Siberia. There's a lot of his work that we haven't, that's not really widely available. He made a lot of stuff for like small documentary yeah. companies. I don't want to say small documentary companies, but like educational firms, I believe. This is all half remembered information. Right. Um, and it was during that time that he made, uh, yeah, Letter from Siberia, I believe. Oh, no, his first one was um, Statues Also Die and Olympia, which were kind of slightly more clearly um, documentary documentaries, whereas right. Letter from Siberia is is what you would recognize as a Chris Marker film, which is to say an almost random assemblage of footage with a, a narrator kind of speaking meaning to the images. And um, But what what I have remembered Sansule the most is the montage where he goes through Japanese media and his clips of Japanese television and Japanese film that he distorts into single images that he then puts up against each other. And in my memory, that was like 60% of the film, uh, which it is not no it's not like it's like five minutes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so it's maybe five percent um and i thought there's a great film to juxtapose against that which is a film i i found hilarious <laughs> when i was 15 and it came out and that's kung power into the fist which is uh steve odekirk uh, uh american comedy man um american comedy superstar well he well what had he done up until that point i I don't know. He, he, he seems like someone who would have been on, like, Mad TV or some shit. Ah, uh, okay. He was an executive consultant on Ace Ventura and then Ooh. wrote and directed Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. Okay. Um, he wrote Patch Adams. He, w- he has a story credit on Nutty Professor to The Clumps. Oh. He wrote the Jimmy Neutron film. <clears throat> uh, he wrote Bruce Almighty and Evan Almighty. Steve Odekirk made... Um, some emation shorts. Oh, right. He's that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's clearly kind of where Kung Pao Into the Fist comes from. Because Kung Pao Into the Fist, uh, I remember it as being a gleefully silly, like fast paced melange of dumb jokes. Yeah. Um, and now watching it in the year 2021 as a 33 and a half year old adult, I have to say it does seem to me. Of the films we've watched, the one most dripping in racial hatred, <laughs> and I am including intolerance and crash in that <laughs> yeah. list. As a compliment, I'll call it leaden. Just feeling, just like, just weighted down. And so that is why my failure of memory, as kind of outlined in Saint Soleil, yeah. put these two films up against each other. Um, one I think is kind of empirically good. Uh, and the other is Kung Pao Into the Fist, a film that I would genuinely, you know how there are like there are films, wh- like you know the real version of like oh all men read Infinite Jest and like The Godfather, and it's like oh okay so all men like two good things, yeah, you know, <laughs> um, is that there are people whose like favorite film is Norbit, and you're actually like oh no, there's something that speaks to a real problem in you. Yeah. I genuinely think if I met someone and was like, what do you think the funniest comedy ever made is that you've seen recently? And they said Kung Pao into the fist. I would have to like in a court of law, find them unable to give testimony <laughs> because there's no way they're engaging with reality. Yeah. Um, Cause so like, it's obviously a time capsule of, of things that were entertaining at the time. Oh, and we should say it was constructed by taking a, a Hong Kong action film called Tiger and Crane Fists, uh, also sometimes called Savage Killers, 
and then redubbing and inserting Steve Odekirk and other people into footage like Dead then, Men Don't yeah. Wear Plaid. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I watched Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid last year, which is yeah. the, the second movie that Paul Reiner and Steve Martin made together after they made The Jerk, which is a movie in the style of a 40s noir, which is made up of uh, uh, clips of 40s noirs that Steve Martin uh, has been edited into. That movie is so skillfully made. And like, even though not all of the jokes fully land, like yeah. Steve Martin is like so dialed into that and, and Carl Reiner and Steve Martin clearly have like so much affection for that time period and that sort of movie. They're like, that movie just fully works. And uh, I, was, I was expecting uh, something sort of like approaching that level of uh, craft and uh, uh, comedy know-how. Yeah. And uh, uh, a bit bitterly disappointed. <laughs> no, it is. We, we, I said as the film was ending that with today's technology, you could make this film in a day. Yeah. And that would include <laughs> having the idea yeah. and writing the script. And and it is interesting what the part what what things what time capsules reveal to us about the past because it's like oh that's right in two thousand and two in a comedy film a joke wasn't a joke until they had explained the joke so many times yeah there, there are maybe four good jokes in this and yeah. each time they will do the good joke and then they will spend a while explaining to you what the joke was just ruining the fucking joke well that like. If you thought the fact that the villain's name was Betty was amusing because it's a woman's name, well, I don't yeah. think that's amusing. Yeah, but, but, but like he's, he's like a tough guy, but yeah. his name is Betty. But even if you thought that was entertaining, the thing that immediately makes it not entertaining is the fact that, like, you will call me Betty, and I know what you think. <laughs> that's a woman's name. And it's just like, no, don't. Don't explain the joke. There's a bit where... Yeah. Um, and, then, and then when the next person learns that this guy's name is Betty, they say, oh, but that's a woman's name. And it, it's just... There, there's a bit... One of the four good jokes is uh, when the chosen one, Steve Odekirk's lead character, who was in the original played by Jimmy Wang Yu, who who, who was kind of uh, noted uh, in that era of 60s and 70s, the Hong Kong action yeah. films... Um, is test uh, the the villain Betty Master Pain um uh, has two darts on his chest to stop people being able to grapple him yeah and he has to uh, uh, the chosen one has to train his hands to remove the darts and, and his hands are all cut up and he shows them to a character uh, called Ling who um her defining thing is that Steve Odekirk who does the voices for everyone. Uh, uh, Ling's joke is that she goes, wee you, wee you, wee you, wee you, wee you. After every line reading, she just for a while, she's like, wee you, wee you, wee you, wee you. And I kind and I don't, I don't know what that joke is. I think intellectually that's supposed to be a riff on the bad dubbing thing of adding efforts where people are clearly speaking yeah. and why there was like that. Whenever we, you watch Samurai Pizza Cats or the early Pokemon dub or a bad Dragon Ball Z dubs, uh, is that there's a lot of like, so you think you can fight us? And that's right, yeah. because their mouths were still moving. I think that's what the joke is, but it doesn't work. But anyway, uh, Ling is confronting the Chosen One and says, oh, your hands that are covered in blood, do they hurt? And he shakes his head, stoic no. And so she pours lemon juice on them. Does it still hurt? Shakes his head no. Pours salt on them. <laughs> and shakes his head no. 
And then she goes, does it hurt now? And she cracks open a thermometer <laughs> and pours liquid mercury <laughs> on it. Yeah, it's like, that's a good joke. It's a great that's, that's joke. That's a really good heightening of that bit. But then immediately cuts to him going, you cracked open a thermometer and poured mercury on my hands. It's like, no, buddy, come on. Just let us have the joke. <laughs> like, there is, it's a film made in 2002, which you know what that means? Got to be a bullet time joke. I, I know. And uh, like, it's possible to do a good bullet time joke. There's not not a lot, not a lot of them, but you you could. Okay, do a good what one. is the good bullet time? joke? I can't remember any. I but I, I'm 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 saying like like the, the the idea of like let's have a character go into bullet time to dodge a thing. Like, it's not there's nothing inherent to that premise where I'm like, no, that cannot be funny. But uh, so he gets so the chosen one gets into a fight with a CGI cow. Um, and during which the CGI cow spends a lot of its battle weaponizing its milk from its udders in a way that is, with respect, like unnervingly sexual in a way. Yeah. And I think not in a way where it's like, oh, the joke is that it's sexual. Haha. It is like, no, the unnerving thing is I don't think you understand how much you're revealing. <laughs> um, and, but the, and, they, and, and then, of course, it gets to a point where, like, there's just, like, close-ups of, of Steve Odekirk just, like, just like biting down on these <laughs> fake cow udders and just, like, chewing on them. And you're like, no. And, and, and because of the, the need to, to match the original uh, Crane and Tiger Fist's footage, this kind of washed out 16 mil look, it, there's a there's a griminess to it that is quite. But but anyway, then the cow fires milk at him, and he dodges them as twerhy neo dodging bullets. Yeah, and like the best thing you can say for that joke is that it's like the one joke where afterwards he's not like, oh, I did that like it was in the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, or oh, I really don't. You know, like it is the one joke it doesn't explain. Yeah. And, and like the, the, that, like that is a thing that I think works really well about Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Is like there are no fucking like cultural reference jokes. It is like it is just like it fully commits to the idea of we're in the forties and we're doing forty shit and we find jokes around that. It doesn't do like oh well now that we're now that like we actually in the eighties making this movie in the forties. What like wouldn't it be crazy if someone was in spandex? Where, like, this movie is just nothing but, like, modern cultural references. Yeah. Like, like there's a, there's a fucking, like, the Lion King joke in this, where yeah. Mufasa, like, Let's where, remember, like, terrible CGI Mufasa looks down from the clouds. The Lion and, and, King, an eight-year-old film at this point yeah. of its release. And The Matrix was, like, three years earlier. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like, yeah. Fucking, it fucking sucks. It fucking sucks it's shit the whole time. just very confronting because I remember being amused by it. And I remember it, this being, at least for a short moment, almost a cultural phenomenon, admittedly within young people. Yeah. I'd never seen this movie before, but, but, but my dad's girlfriend mentions it occasionally because when her kids were growing up, like it was their favorite movie. And her, her, like her kids are like a, a few years older than me. And I I'd, I'd never like never heard of this movie before. And then and then my dad's girlfriend started mentioning like, oh yeah, it's the funniest movie. Oh, oh my kids loved it so much. And now that I've seen it, I think that her and my dad should break up. But has she seen it recently? I I I, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, no. that, like, and that's the thing. And it is like there are some things we should leave in the past. Yeah, and some things we should consign to memory. But also, like, it's nice to be disabused because, like, obviously, I was coming into this going like this film is going to be shite. Yeah, and, and to have been faintly annoyed to watch it. I just wasn't ready for the fact that there's just there's not even a bit of it that you could be like, 
No, obviously Kung Pao into the fist is bad. But, but, like, but, this, but like this scene, they, they, they really figured yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is, there's just something so... This film, it costs $10 million, hmm. and it feels so nakedly like an ego, like a Jeremy Savile-style ego piece yeah. for Steve Odekirk. Like it seems to exist solely so that Steve Odekirk could have four listed fitness instructors in the end credits to get buff, and he looks good. Yeah. Yeah, he looks good we, shirtless. We, 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 we spent a lot of a movie thinking that, that yeah. CGI'd his uh, terrible face onto an actually hot person's body. Um, But not like he, he you know, those those cum gutters could run cum, yeah. you know? Yeah, you, you want to go into more detail about that? Yeah, I think the <laughs> the, the spermatosa would sliver down his abdominals. Okay, let's stop now, let's stop now. What I'm saying <laughs> is that he, he could bust a Scruggs. <laughs> um, and... The, there is just something about it that, that just makes me feel so sad. <laughs> and there's something, and ten, like, the special effects people worked so hard to integrate him into this footage. And for 2002, yeah. the artistry of that is sincerely really impressive. Yeah. Like, and they're matching film grain. And, like, the moments where they've digitally inserted his head over someone else's uh, within a shot stand out. But they stand out because we have been so trained in a post like George Lucas editing different takes of actors yeah. together world to to kind of know what good face replacement looks like. And, and you know, their extras, they rebuilt sets. And yet, just for the, for like jokes we could think up now. If we thought of these jokes, we wouldn't bother writing them down. And it, it's like, I think a key thing is that there's not... <laughs> And it just feels and like or we wouldn't bother writing them down because the ones that aren't racist are boring. Yeah, and that the and almost all of them are racist. <laughs> so much of this film, the punchline is: isn't it funny how Chinese people dot dot dot? Yeah, I it makes me feel good that that now does not register as a joke. It's not like when you hear a really terrible joke that's still a good joke, and you're like, "Fuck, I wish that joke wasn't." good yeah you know yeah it's like no all you're saying here is um chinese martial arts look funny if you put funny music behind them or if a white man does the poses while doing a silly face and you're just like yeah or like what if what if there was the sound of a gong right now or and then uh 25 more times throughout this movie and and like a big part of it is that i let me from the wikipedia page Voiced over characters in many scenes, Jimmy Wang Yu, the lead actor in Tiger and Crane Fist, was replaced by Odekirk via post-production chroma key and digital compositing techniques such as head replacement. Odekirk also redubbed all of the original cast's voices himself. Now here is the bit I want to really quibble with. Yeah. Inventing a different voice for every character. <laughs> because what you get is just a cavalcade of either kind of standard entry-level funny voices of people like hello or hello and the rest are all just racist imitations of asian of chinese specifically accents yeah and it it's like have you rewatched ace ventura i've never even watched ace ventura okay so there's a scene where um ace learns that that he has kissed a trans woman yeah and and he immediately starts vomiting 
And I remember being a child and thinking that was funny. Right, yeah. Because I was wrong. Yes. And when you see it now, it doesn't even register as a joke. It just registers as an act of vile transphobia, both within and without of the film. Mm. It is just like, oh, Ace Ventura is bad because he's transphobic and this film is bad for endorsing it. And that's what Kung, all of Kung Pao Into the Fist feels like. And it, it seems insane that this, I, see, I also said to you, this was shown in cinemas, like, that same cinema could have been showing like Baby's Day Out, a better film, yeah. you know, like, and it just seems so like it's even unfair. I keep wanting to say stuff like, and like content like this is on YouTube now, but that's dismissive to all the great content that is on YouTube, you know? So what do you think? It's been a while since I've had to say this on an episode, which is good, but like there are very few movies that I felt less engaged like during than, than, than this movie. I was like, I I would I would try to pay attention to it and it like it it would actively reject my attempts to engage with it. I don't think I have anything like particularly interesting to say about this movie apart from the fact that it, it fucking sucks. Yeah, but, no, uh, it's, would, would, it's... Would, would you like to hear a five star review of this movie? Oh, I'd just also like to I, I apologize we accidentally flipped the order. Yeah. But uh to end our discussion of Kung Pain to the Fist, uh it's shite and I just want to say that like it's very existence and persistence like speaks to a real problem within culture yeah and and that this should be in the same place like at the very least it begins with a caption that's like um we got footage from tiger and crane first yeah and digitally put stuff into it but what it should begin with is uh on disney plus when you start when you watch like pocahontas right, yeah or aladdin or peter pan it yeah. starts with a thing that says this has representations from the past that are not acceptable and we show it to you here at a sense of like historical significance yeah and like this film shouldn't start explaining what it is it should start apologizing it should start like you're about to watch kung pao to the fist um everyone who was involved in this film's production creatively has been fired and we've ensured they've never they're never going to make another film which brings me to one of the greatest legacies of kung pao into the fist is it ends with a joke tease of a sequel yeah which has been because this film made money yeah uh a budget of 10 box office 17 million that's seven three million dollars uh and it did very well on digital video disc which had many hilarious options you could listen to the whole film perform a, it's called the book version where every line of dialogue was read by someone with a british accent um there was the version where you could hear what they were originally saying and there's a director's commentary of course there were deleted scenes can you believe they had mm-hmm. choice slices of was, was there a, was there a fart track like on wet hot american summer i wish but sadly no um an alternate ending, which featured Betty and a Speedo singing the Kung Pao theme song. Tonguey tribute featurette. Oh, because he has, his tongue has a face. Oh, oh right. That, 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 that's what tonguey is. That's what marks him as the chosen one. And that everyone's like, good tonguey, this funny guy. And you're supposed to be like, oh, he's supposed to be the fucking breakout fucking star yeah, of Yeah, and, this and film. There, there are all of these shots where there's like a close-up of his face and he like sticks his tongue out and there's, there's like your eyes and a mouth on his tongue. And then the tongue goes, Ugh. Mm. It's like a shitty Babu Frick kind and of it, voice. And it's done in the style of the Thumbimation. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but that, 
there have been ongoing conversations about a sequel for a very long time, including like in like 2015, Steve Odekirk said that we're working on it. And But the thing he has always said is that the sequel wouldn't be another Hong Kong film. Right. It would be a spaghetti western. And like, I think that's, I think doing this with a spaghetti western is a much better idea. Yeah. Because everyone is so fucking stoic. There's so much to immediately play against. It's about an invented culture. The American West, as it is idealized in the spaghetti western, is to all intents and purposes a total fabrication. Like, obviously, there are historic roots. You know, Deadwood existed, but not like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because all of, all of, all cowboy films are samurai films (laughs) 10 years later, you know? Um, And I just feel sad that he didn't have that idea first. Because this is aesthetic within a spaghetti western. Oh, no, it would still be shite. Yeah, but it'd be, be less hateful. Is that one of the most painfully racist things about this film is the fact that it feels very clear to me that Steve Odekirk and, you know, the other creatives involved, but it mainly seems to be him. That's like where the comparison to YouTube kind of comes from. Will have spent so much time working out why what he's doing isn't racist. Like he's yeah. very specifically worked out. Like he's just doing, you know, yeah, so, uh, uh, shite. Yeah, no so, shite. Yeah, so, but yeah. To go back to your question from I don't know thirty minutes ago. Yeah, I do want to hear a five star review of Kung Pao into the first. So this is by by Letterbox user Clover Blue. There was a time in cinema the year 2002, where you could just redouble a martial arts movie with silly voices and add a few new scenes and some CGI, then go put that in a movie theater. Truly wild times. I know this movie has a cult following or whatever, but I'm really a little shocked that it hasn't become recognized as one of the great comedies of the era, especially given what it's up against. Yeesh. Everything is a joke, and every single joke lands. It's so hard to do an hour and a half of comedy and nail every single bit, but this somehow does it. Sure, it's immature and silly, but what comedy isn't? It's a level of absurd that I that I think we would have been ready for in 2021, but maybe not in 2002, given the reviews at the time. There really is no other movie like it. I wouldn't be surprised if Lord and Miller were inspired by it, because the only other movie I can think of with this kind of comedic pacing is the first Lego movie. They lull you into thinking with the first three minutes that maybe it will take itself seriously at any point, and then a lady throws a baby off a cliff, and it's all downhill from there. Woo! I've known every line of this movie for almost 20 years, and it still makes me laugh a whole way through. Just a pure beacon of joy. If you have a 12-year-old, please, show them Kung Pao into the fist. Uh, that review was written uh, 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 10 days ago. I find that review caused me genuine psychic pain. Yeah. Because knowing that I share a planet, I mean 10 days, they may have died, um, with someone who looks at this film and is like, yes, this is the comedy we need now. Yeah, okay, this person's uh, uh, top four on Letterboxd. Okay, um, can I guess? Is one Kung Pao into the first? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Um, now give me clues on the next three. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to save the second one because it's a movie. Uh, it's a movie I haven't heard of, and uh, not, it's a movie called Knives and Skin, uh, directed by uh, uh, directed by a woman called Jennifer Reader. Came out uh, two years ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, so like mixed reception, but seems uh, uh, interesting. Uh, okay, the third movie is uh, uh, it's Russian. Nightwatch. No. Daywatch? Uh, high, high, higher brow. Dr. Zhivago? A- a- like, a- actual Russian. <laughs> oh, right. Solaris? Uh, correct director. Stalker? Yeah. 
Someone who raked this fat. What the fuck is wrong with yeah. them? I mean, number four. It's an adaptation of Alice in Wonderland, roughly. No, no, Wizard of Oz. Uh, the Wiz? It, it, it's, it's not a straightforward uh, adaptation. Uh, okay. Uh, Jaws? Um, no. uh, is, is it famously an adaptation of The Wizard uh, yes. of Oz? Oh, is it a David Lynch film? Yes. Blue Velvet. Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart, fuck, of this course. This person's four favorite movies include Stalker, Wild at Heart, and Kung Pao Into the Fist. Can I just say that, that the implication in their review that they're raising a 12-year-old child just took a real dark turn <laughs> for me? And that just shows that, like, th- that you could look at that film and go, like, these are the jokes today needs. Yeah. Speaks to the callous festering racial hatred that sits in everyone and the best thing we can do is address it do you know what i mean yeah but but, but like, like just, just the idea of thinking like you know people weren't ready for this in 2002 like in that, now, yeah. now now now's the time for kung pao yeah it it was the children who were wrong <laughs> right <laughs> and that do you think they possibly are confusing stalker the film stalker the video game <laughs> i just and like there is Definitely a space mm. for like weird lo-fi high joke content films like this. Yeah, and there are absolutely ways to and like that is like part of the tragedy of of when so many comedians turn to to cinema, they don't make comedy. Is, is that we are, we don't really have those right now? And like the comparison to Lord and Miller, at least in terms of like pace is worthwhile mm. but if chris lord and phil miller genuinely hold kung power into the fist as a inspiration in any conscious way i have to ask for your support in cancelling them <laughs> i'm not just talking to you i'm talking to the <laughs> listeners we need to find out chris or phil love your work from clone high on mm. but if you currently list <laughs> Kang Pao into the vest as an artistic inspiration, I need to know so that I can cancel you. We got Dr. Seuss, now we're coming for you. Yeah, no, those four Dr. Seuss books that six, no one read. Six any- Dr. Seuss books. Oh no, I've kept two secretly okay. in the stash. <laughs> but here's the thing when, oh God, no, we can't talk about cancel culture. Except, did you, did you see my very good cancel culture tweet? Probably. It's does my piss really hurt or is it just <laughs> yes. cran the cell culture? Yes, I did, I did see that. <laughs> oh, so Sans Soleil. I don't think I was particularly in the best condition to watch this movie. I was sort of tired, uh, wasn't fully able to focus on it. And uh, so I, I think I, uh, as I said in my intro, I have uh, almost no memory of what happened apart from apart from the giraffe shooting scene. I think the, 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 I I definitely need to like rewatch this movie at some point. You you absolutely yeah. yeah. Um, hey, like, and this is we're lucky in that this is uh, our first but not last engagement with Marker. Yeah, uh, Marker, who part of the left bank piece of the the enfant terrible, the 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 cinema avant garde, with um, he mates with old Jacques Jacques Dem, yeah. and of course the most important person in the avant garde. Agnes Varda. Yeah, um, and, and Ellen Rene. I mean, I just don't know Rene that well. I mean, he, he, he made last year Marion bad. Uh, I'm, okay, so he's he's fine then is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, no, he's very, very good. Yeah. And I just love, like, 
I'm just so sick of conversations about the avant-garde that aren't just like a bunch of bros and Agnes Varda, empirically the most important director right. to come out of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, 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 I just became very, very aware when Varda died was like, oh, I always knew Varda was good. And obviously I've seen a bunch of the films. I've mm. seen the biggies and even not even all the biggies, but yeah. you know, like I, I saw the gleaners and I and cried. Like I've I've yeah. engaged with Vada. Yeah, like I I I I love Vada. I have I have the I, I have the Criterion box set. But I still I still I like still missing like Cleo, and, and, which which I need to do. But. And and we will right. Yeah. And, and it, but, oh no no that, that's that's it's, it's uh, Cleo is on the top one hundred. No, the it's in the top two fifty. Yeah. yeah. There, there are I think like two films directed by women in the top hundred. Oh God. And the other one is Mulan. <laughs> 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 Great job, Nikki Caro. You did it. Yeah. E-ho-a-tua. Anyway, but yeah, Chris Marker, a film essayist. Like, my favorite quote from him is that he considers basically all of his films home movies and specifically talking about Sun Soleil. He said, on a matter of fact level, I wish I could, I could tell you what the film was intended to be. And that's just a home movie. Mm. My main talent has been finding people to pay me for my home <laughs> movies. If I was rich, I would have made the same films. Uh, I mean, like the traveling films, mm. like, cause he led us to Siberia and yeah. from Siberia, but nobody would have heard of them because except for his friends. <laughs> um, and like that is, it is interesting because Kung Pao is such a look directly into the id of Steve Odekirk yes. and what he thinks is funny and what he thinks are funny faces he can pull. And they're just not, and he's just not, he, it is like, it is that, like there are many things about Kung Pao that are a bottle of their time, but one that I think has gone uncommented on is the rash of post Jim Carrey comedians being just like, oh, I'm just going to wiggle my face yeah. and being like, oh, no, but you don't understand how good Jim Carrey yeah, yeah, is like, at doing yeah, that. Like, 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 yeah, feel like Jim Carrey or like Rowan Atkinson back in the day are like artists and yeah. like moving their face in a funny way. Yeah. And then Steve Odekirk just isn't. And now like Rowan Atkinson is a master of <laughs> twisting real political issues into non-issues mm. saying that can, <laughs> saying that now people can't joke about things when the real solution is it's not that you can't joke about things, Rowan. Your it's, jokes need to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like that laugh. Sounds like bullying. Um, but what, Yeah, because that's never happened on this show before. <laughs> no. It was a lovely space. Calm, <laughs> neutral. Don't look at me. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, to the listeners at home when they said don't look at me Finn flared his eyebrows in just like the perfect way <laughs> to make this this kind of remorseless stare <laughs> this like jaunty canted angle Kubrick interrogation <laughs> it, was, it was exactly what I needed to be looking at in that moment um, but Sensei and, and to a lesser extent all of Marker's other films um uh, is is equally singular. You're seeing one person's voice, and you're you're experiencing one person's vision. But even more interesting is that like Kung Pao almost starts as a joke. It's like blah blah blah. Productions present a Steve Odekirk film starring Steve <laughs> Odekirk. Like Chris Marker only credits himself once 
at the end of Sun Soleil. He was making this film in the 70s as part of like a commune. And right. so he was very much about like the dispersion of the self and of credit. And that is where kind of like the key comparison you can be made in that as much as that this is a film, Sun Soleil is a film that is equally one man's view. Yeah. It is a man's view that is aggressively open to other people's interpretations. Yes. My, uh, uh, having yeah, rewatching Letter from Siberia recently, the the moment in it that really sticks with me is that he plays one sequence of footage three times. The first time, essentially talking Soviet propaganda that is then reinforced by the picture, then a neutral description of it, and then quote unquote the American point of view: Soviet Russia falling apart failing yeah uh, and each time the pictures confirm what you're hearing and it is this kind of extended documentary um dissection of the kuleshov effect and within that it, it it shows that he knows precisely how much control he has um over what you think and what you see and the fact that it's so elliptical and so hard to remember like is because it is never double percussive as much as this is a film that spends a lot of time juxtaposing the quote-unquote new world and the old world, tribal people in Africa, Guinea-Bissau. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, in West Africa. Like, an image that sticks with me is like a ticket collector on the Tokyo Underground just taking hundreds of tickets <laughs> in like 10 seconds. And like, the juxtaposition is clearly there to be like, this is the new world, this is the quote-unquote old world, what is technology doing? to us what is modern culture it's you never get a voiceover being like you know like it feels and i I think like one of the important things about the film is like it is a film with with like with like tons of narration but it is not mark narrating it and the and the and the narration is not written by him it's a series it's a series of letters being read by someone else (laughs) Or did, or did he write it? He, he wrote the letter. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah. The, the form of the narration uh, is, is is a woman reading letters sent to her by the cameraman who shot the film, right. Sandor Kransk, Krasner, yeah. who does not exist. Right, okay. Um, and Marker wrote them, and... and so he's still like right, yeah, it's still his thing, but he, he's he's presenting he's he's like presenting his ideas as if they're someone else's. Well, it, yeah. and it's uh, the reason I call it kaleidoscopic is that it is fragments put together. It, yeah, it's it's a scrapbook, but in a way that that seems whole. And, and yeah, it, it, it's it's a film that that claims it starts and ends talking about memory mm. and, and goes through things. There's a lot about prayer. In it, there's a lot of about how there's a lot of ritualized prayer in in then modern Japan, which is still modern Japan. It was only 30 years ago, 40, 50, 40, 40. But it is, it never gets to like its end point, isn't. And that's the thing about memory memory's a bit like a prayer. Memories are a fickle beast. What is memory but prayer persevering, (laughs) you know? Um, and the fact that for a film that is so contained and so kind of one person scrapping things together, admittedly other people contributed to the film, both the pieces of found footage he includes and literally other filmmakers, or the, the, there's extended section on Iceland, which is credited in the film to another, the, the, the fictional cameraman mentions the real cameraman right, that yeah. took them. Um, but it, it, yeah, it feels so open, and that's what feels so 
kind of miraculous about it that even in something that at least for me the formula feels so prescriptive that the fact that you always feel like you're taking your own interpretation from it is like the real magic of it and i'm sure kind of what marker wants yeah um because if marker had wanted it to explain uh he would have explained <laughs> you know and like that is like his film his his, his film about Kira kurosawa ak is a lot of explaining and that's interesting in a different way but but yeah it is it is hard to discuss a film about memory which i suspect is deliberately designed is quite hard to remember there are very few it it is constantly flowing no sequence is longer than maybe three minutes yeah and, and they all kind of rhyme in a butt and flow on from each other like like i remember first seeing hour-long stand-up comedy shows when i was like 10 and i was like I don't understand how that's written because it just seems like one conversation someone's having and it just kind of occurs, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is, of all the films we've said, it's hard to talk about. Sun Soleil is maybe the hardest. Yeah. Um, but I also think, is this your first marker full stop? No. Or no, I, I, Jete. I, I, yeah, I, I, I saw, I saw La Jete a few well, years ago. And, and like, La Jete is superficially quite like his other films. Yeah. Mm. But like, but like there's a there's a there's a like clear narrative to like well yeah and, and yeah. like yeah. he's using all the same tools but the base level of reality is so different yeah um and, and i like what i would recommend is warming is like going through going through okay going through letter from siberia maybe cat without a face maybe the lovely month of may le joli mai right. uh, I fucked that up, um, which is a sequence made up of him interviewing just Parisians on the street about their thoughts on stuff <laughs> and cutting those things together. Right. And, and it is juxtaposes that against other images. And of course there's commentary, but like, like obviously I think Sun Soleil should be on the list. But I think it should be one of the ones where it's like, no, no, you kind of need back, you kind of need to tune into it, yeah, to to land on it. But I think like it's so rewarding once you do, and it is, yeah. If, I think it's, I think he's a genius. That is like from yeah. doing my my research and seeing his other films, I was ready to. I I will, I will reveal that I was really ready to come into this and be like, this is just a white fucking guy, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, traveling the world. And like pointing a camera at Chinese, at, at, at Japanese people, and being like, "I'll make, I'll make a uh, check out these guys." But all he wants to do is think about shit mm. and interrogate the world. Yeah, and like sometimes he is talking about things that have been more interrogated more deeply in the time since. But like, time is killing all of us. We can't be mad at Chris Marker for it killing him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So do you think you'll go back and watch others of his films? I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, we have La Jete coming up in like 20 episodes. Yeah. Yeah, so in like a couple of weeks leading up to La Jete, I'll, I'll re-watch Santa Lea. I'll, I'll watch all this other stuff that I can find. I don't think I, I, don't think I can say sound for, 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 for this just because yeah. like I, 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 I don't know that I can say that I watched it, but like it's, it seems like it's good. And yeah. I and I think when it, when I rewatch it, I will I will say it sound. Um, and the thing I want to say, the, the thing I want to make clear is like the greatest juxtaposition we can have between these films is yeah, Kung Pao exists to point at Chinese people and go lol, whereas Sun Soleil so easily could be a film of Chris Marker 
pointing at Japanese people and being like, what's going on there? But because the film is so clearly fueled by like an optimistic and honest um, wanting to engage with other people's humanity, that even if he chooses to focus on the strangest moments, mm. you know, on, on the ritualized prayer of people praying for their missing cats, things that would see Moutre, what he is doing is going like, no, these are other humans yeah. that are doing a thing that is equally as human as anything we do. This, He's like, yes, this is outside of you, but it's part of us. Mm. And I think that's... And, uh, that is the thing that connects all of his nonfiction work. Right, yeah. Like, what is the theme of La Giete is what I'm going to get on through on that episode, because what is the theme of La Giete? <laughs> but, but What if there were 12 monkeys? <laughs> um, do you think, I've realized what we should pair with La Giete, mm. which is all four series of the, of the TV show, of 12, the TV monkeys. show 12 Monkeys? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's um, only... Uh, uh, 56 hours. Okay, that's your guess. Um, I'll just be back in a moment with facts. Thirty-three and two-thirds okay. hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's doable. It's like how on the Showa episode, we're going to watch Showa and also uh, three different uh, uh, Uwe Ball movies. <laughs> I thought two. No, he like v- v- there's a fourth one we could do as well, <laughs> but no, we're just going to do three. He he made three Holocaust movies at the same time. Oh, I think Sun Soleil is sound. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. But I also. The the superpower I had coming into this was having both seen it before and recently reacclimatized yeah. myself with his work, which is a mark against the film. Like the almost the thing that stops it being flawless perfectness is that everything should train you to watch the thing you're watching, and this film does not do that. Yeah. Um. It, and what it tries to do, which is complete the thought brain. Um. And the way it tries to train you is through this repeated sequence of three children in Iceland uh, um, and fo- surrounded by black leader and like what the import of that means. But that is about training you to understand the fictive character narrating it rather than the actual language of the thing. Yeah. Do you want to hear a half star review of Sun Soleil? Sure. This is by Letterboxd user Sophie Eve. Emu, yeah. SA films are nightmares that wake nihilists from wet realities. Pretty gross for a white person to be spying on POC, then reporting back to White Central. Is that the whole thing? Yeah. Right. One of the things that this film like specifically does, but I think is like good when documentaries do, is like there, there, there are a bunch of scenes where it's like on the street in like in Japan or like parts of of, of parts of like Bissau Guinea, and w- when the camera is looking at people. The people look back into the camera. Yeah, and like, then the it, director it, talks about. That. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and it, it talks about like what it means that like he that they're like they like people are seeing him, seeing them, and yeah, it 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 is super shallow reading of a film to be like, oh, is this white guy's looking at people? That means it's voyeuristic. I like there is undoubtedly an element of voyeurism and the exotic to it. Yeah, and 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 I think what it is about what why he's doing that and what for, mm. which is basically 
that it should that it starts being like, look at these guys, isn't that weird? And but the ultimate gesture being like, no, 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 we're all equally people. The, yeah, yeah. Those two kids in Iceland, these people in Guinea Bissau, and, and these people in Tokyo, we are we're all the same people, and not in a like race blind accepting prejudice way, but in a like we all have heart, we are all equal to each other. Yeah. Like in a, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> preaching color blindness because no, that's bad. It is. So, what are we watching next week? Which is actually later this week. Uh, yeah, uh, next week we are watching. Uh, we're doing a, a sweet old uh, David Lynch double feature. Ah, double double debut. Yeah, we're doing uh, Blue Velvet, which is number seventy on the side and sound list. And oh, with yeah. that, we are doing uh, the much uh, the the much maligned, uh, incorrectly so, uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me. Oh, maybe yeah. David Lynch's best movie. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's, it's okay. It's got the best performance in a David Lynch movie. I, I don't even like yeah. it. It is a bit like. He made Mulholland Drive. That's it. Like, like, Mulholland Drive is pretty good. M- M- Mulholland Drive is like probably gun to head the best film made after the turn of the millennium, right? Are you, you including uh, uh, including Yee Yee? No, Yee Yee is 2000. Right. Uh, so that's uh, pri the turn of millennium. The millennium started in 2001. Yee Yee is before. Train Approaching Station, Yee Yee, <laughs> Mulholland Drive, the three good films. And, and, and like, yeah. yeah and, uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so we we are doing, uh, we'll just do the whole thing again. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, you, what are we watching next? What? <clears throat> the tip of the tongue, the teeth and the lips, the tip of the tongue. So what do you want? Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this a to myself. A proper cup of coffee for a proper copper coffee pot. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, Finn, I've been thinking. <laughs> just don't know them all. I, like, I, 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 I just want to say yeah. I've been having a really weird time <laughs> and uh, uh, it just really brings me joy to watch films and then talk about films <laughs> with you. <laughs> Uh, in a way that I feel surrounded by darkness, and I, I just want to celebrate that on, on the record. Uh, I mean, same. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm really excited that next week we're going to be watching two of the most upbeat <laughs> films. See, um, we're going to watch Blue Velvet. Now, I have to admit, I have only seen the first thirty seconds of Blue Velvet, but. White picket fences. Yeah. A guy uh, mowing his lawn. A lovely bird in a tree. I think it looks so great and picturesque. And I'm just looking forward to spending two hours in an unadorned, uncomplicated recreation of the best parts of American suburbia. And like the one thing that would ruin that is if there was something dark and festering on its underside. Yeah. Maybe represented by someone's ear being cut off. Yeah, but that was... No. What a cra- what a crazy hypothetical <laughs> but just to make sure that we'll balance that because i don't know i've heard mixed things about blue velvet we'll balance it with david lynch's one comedy <laughs> uh easily his most easy breezy beautiful cover girl film twin peaks fire laugh with me <laughs> Uh, that's funny because I was going to do a show called Fire Laugh With Me uh, and then the pandemic shut us down. Um, but yeah, no watching. Yeah, uh, we're doing Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Uh, I mean, 
uh, Firewalk with Me might be my personal favorite uh, David Lynch movie. It certainly has my favorite, uh, my, my favorite performance in a David Lynch yeah. movie. What uh, one of my favorite performances of all time in uh, uh, with with Cheryl Lee as Laura Palmer. Yeah, I just want to say I'm I'm coming into this just a, a, a trillion percent in the tank for David Lynch. Uh, same, and, and and I just cannot wait to explain at length why both of these films are five star just incredible rips of films yeah like hey you where can we where can we find you online well uh you can find me uh at various places your various social medias is youth lives that's u-t-h-r-l-i-v-e-s sign up for my newsletter the dean's list at bit.ly slash youth lives um as for the show where can people find the show you can find us on twitter at shite sound pod or, or you can email us at shite sound pod at gmail.com check out our website at shiteandsound.com i did recently i didn't regret it yeah <laughs> and you were like that is a feed of our episodes yes, yes. Uh, thanks squarespace <laughs> um uh, um this, uh, this show is not sponsored by squarespace yet um squarespace money please <laughs> Money, please. <laughs> Our theme song is The Nux by Kazam Blam. You can check him out on Bandcamp. Uh, is that everything? Yes. Yep. Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go. <laughs> Go watch him. Go watch him. <laughs>
you've like said you're not going to watch any more superheroic content. Uh, I, I mean, like Marvel specifically, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to stay away from like all Disney products. Yeah. Just because uh, they're uh, the worst company, and I hate them and their business practices. I I, I am uh, like. Even even though uh, I, even though I don't like Zack Snyder, I'm sort of excited for for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, so that, 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 that's for like one superhero movie that's coming out this year. Where I'm like, I'm gonna see that. I'm gonna pay money to see that in the theater. But do you not? Because as much as I respect that decision, it does also seem to me like the the restaurant reviewer who refuses to acknowledge that McDonald's exists. You know. Is is there such a reviewer? I'm but like there is like hypothetically though right. like maybe there isn't. <laughs> but if that would be a ridiculous stance to take, right? Well, I I I I know that stuff exists. Yeah, uh, and I'm uh, I think I'm more like a restaurant reviewer uh, who is uh, 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 like standing on the street corner like like Kevin McHale in the in the 70s remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, just screaming, just screaming at everyone that they're all being taken for fools. Um, but do and then you... I get run over by a car like Kevin <laughs> McHale in the 70s book, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. No, no, not Kevin McHale. Fuck, that's a that's the wheelchair kid from Glee. What's what's the what's the fucking guy from Invasion of the Body Snatchers? It's, Donald it's, S. Utherland. No, no. The, the, Kiefer S. Utherland's father. The, 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 the star of the 50s one who, was, who had a cameo in the 70s one. Uh, How much do you think that cameo cost uh, on, like, on website cameo? It uh, cost uh, uh, the exact same amount as uh, the guy from Entourage. Jeremy Piven. I think, I think a cameo from him is like, is like $2,500 or something. I'm, I mean that. Some... Kevin, Kevin McCarthy. Oh, right. So close. Not Kevin McAllister. Nope. From Home Alone yep. and Home Alone 2, and I believe Home Alone 5. The one that doesn't exist yet? Oh, oh wait. Zero, five? Three is a different kid. Three is a different kid. Four is a different kid. Kid. And I, d- I didn't there know there was a five. I think, no, f- I think, one second, I think four is a different child actor, but he is playing... Kevin McAllister. Yes. Oh, okay. oh, right, right. Yes, yes. In Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House, which uh, was about mid- a midterm election. Um, oh, it's directed by Rod Daniel. Yeah. Is, is that the one with, with the bad guys, uh, French Stewart and Missy Pyle? You know it. Yep. Oh, Barbara Babcock. <laughs> what a great. Uh, of course, the, uh, the oh, French Stewart is playing Marv. Oh, okay. Is it, okay, so let, Ma, Marv, Marv is... I will, let me just read hmm. to you from this Wikipedia page yeah. in this bit that's cut from the podcast. Mike Weinberg is Kevin McAllister, a nine-year-old boy who defends the house from Marv and Vera. He was portrayed by Macaulay Culkin in the first two films. French Stewart is Marv Merchkins, Vera's husband and an old nemesis of Kevin. He was portrayed by Daniel Stern in the oh, first okay, two so films. Brad Stern's character, yeah. Despite his name, the character's physical appearance and attire more closely resemble that of his former partner, Joseph Pesci. Yeah. Do you know what Joseph Pesci's character's name was? Harry Lime. Was it? Yeah. With a Y in Lime. (laughs) Okay. Missy Pyle is Vera Marv's wife, whom he met in prison. Her role replaces that of Marv's original partner, Harry. And Eric Avari as Mr. Prescott the butler. 
Mm. Uh, obviously, but mm. uh, as I was saying, this is a Rod Daniel film. He's directed many films that that we've known and loved. Of course, Home Alone Four, How to Marry a Billionaire, A Christmas Tale, Alley Cat, Strike, Genius, mm. Beethoven Second, The Super, mm. Canine, Like Father, Like Son, mm. and of course his debut. Maybe the first time I saw a penis, not in my family. Teen Wolf. <laughs> so, do you want to do your intro? <laughs> yeah, sure. Daniel St- no, Rod Daniel is a voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Who isn't? Like the 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 only reason I'm not a member of of, of the Academy is because my opinions aren't reg- aren't regressive enough. Otherwise, I'm fully qualified. Yeah, which which of your films do you think? Got you on the Academy's watch list. Uh, I believe it was. Uh, 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 I believe it was the the comedic short film uh, that I, that I made with a friend of mine while walking around a zoo, which is called Outdoors with Man. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's called Bear Grylls. Uh, it's called David Attenborough presents Outdoors with Man versus Wild, and it's us uh, walking around a zoo, uh, <laughs> do, do, doing a bit where uh, where where. Oh, like, you were doing a bit in this video, yep, were you? Yeah. Oh. Where. Uh, uh, we're like zookeepers, but we, but like actually, we don't know anything about the animals, and we're just making it all Wait, up. Okay, so you're telling me that you created a short internet comedy we're, video where, where two 19 year old men walked around a zoo and did a bit. No, but here is the thing: the most important part is that the bit was that people was people not knowing things. So I bet mm. you told like quite absurd lies. Uh, we certainly oh. did. <laughs> Finn. No one else has ever done. Absolutely. Do you know what the worst thing was? While we were in the process of editing this video, you sincerely thought it was good. Oh no, it's it's good. Um, I, mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, like it, it was it was shot on like a phone, and we 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 didn't intend to make it into anything. We were just doing it for fun, yeah. And so it looks like uh, garbage, yeah. But uh, but no, while we were in the process of editing this. Uh, uh, Will Ferrell went on, I think, like Seth Meyers, and did uh, the exact same bit. Uh, so, are you implying that William Ferrell, um, who is both a feral animal and the unabashed lead of Bewitched, a f- an adaptation of a film about a, an adaptation of a TV show about a woman, stole from you? Uh, yes, he, he he also stole the idea for uh, uh, he also stole the idea for Talladega Nights from me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And uh, your idea was like, what if we made a film that was actually, in retrospect, a little better than Anchorman, <laughs> if anything? <laughs> yep. What if what was the idea for Talladega Nights? Like watching a John C. Riley performance. What if it was a ballad of Ricky Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> um, was watching. What if it was a movie that one day in the future Finn will buy a blu-ray of and then never watch it and then sell the blu-ray back to real groovy where he probably bought it in the first place for store credit well what did you buy with that store credit i can't remember pro- 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 probably uh uh probably the the uh probably the blu-ray uh double pack of magic mike and magic mike xxl oh wow the, that's the last thing I brought from Real Groovy. The problem I have with Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL is that I haven't seen Magic Mike's 2 through, I think, like 2050, <laughs> 2049. Oh, oh, sure, I've seen Magic Mike, but I haven't seen Magic Mike small, Magic <laughs> Mike medium, Magic Mike large, Magic Mike extra large. XL is 40, so XXL hypothetically is 30 so there are 28 films i haven't yeah. seen 
Um, ah, oh, if Magic Mike, another franchise where I just wish that every year, yeah. there was a straight to Blu-ray. <laughs> You know, Magic Mike goes down under Magic Mike, uh, 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 Operation Dumbo Drop, <laughs> like Magic yeah, Mike. Magic Mike uh, meet, meets Mr. Baseball. <laughs> yeah. And t- Tom Tom Selleck just joins for Magic Mike guys for a yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and like each one, it's a different, you know, Dave Bautista's in mm, one. Yeah. Um, jo- 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 John John Cena would be in one. Oh, would he? He's, well, he's a comedy guy now. Is he? Yeah. All oh, right, because of cock blockers. Yeah. Sorry, blockers. Blockers. Uh, uh, how dare that film title make me think of the word cock? Yeah, he's he's been in other things with jokes. I think he, he's usually pretty good at, at comedy stuff. Like um, when he fought the Undertaker, yep. right? Yep. My the 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 scariest joke I've ever seen. <laughs> John Cena comedy oh he was in the one where he was a firefighter was like playing with fire or something yeah he's in daddy's home train wreck surfs up two wave mania oh, yeah i think pe- 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 people liked him in train wreck right yeah, yeah. he's in ferdinand all oh, right where he plays a bull um bull yeah. ferdinand what? i think i think i think that's what it is what shut the front door oh <laughs> what was that noise it was one of the sounds i make in kung pao into the first like uh okay do your intro Sorry, that wasn't supposed to sound no, so no, dismissive. No. Do your fucking, Do your fucking intro. <laughs>